Welcome to The Soul Journey, where we will discuss the journey of people, authors, musicians, clergy, blue collar, white collar, and beyond, and find out what drives their journey. I'm Proverb Newsom. The Soul Journey starts right now. Hey, welcome to Sojourn. We're here with Ricky Aiken of Inner City Innovators. Ricky started an organization here in West Palm Beach, Florida, that's dedicated to and committed to ending gun violence among youth aged 14 to 24. It's an honor to have you here, man. Honor. Thanks, man. I'm excited to be here, Prof. You know, I've known you for many, many years now, man. And you're one of the most uh, humble uh, and consistent guys I know. So when you hit me up about this, I was more than excited to get here and do this with you. Appreciate it, brother. Appreciate it. So tell me a little bit about your journey, because, you know, here on Soul Journey, we, we like to investigate and find out about what drives people's journey. And I know you've had an interesting one that led all the way to you uh, being a hope dealer here in the yeah. community. So uh, let's start at the beginning, man. Where, where did you grow up? I grew up right here in the Tamman Corridor of West Palm Beach, you know, okay. an, an area notorious for poverty, drug abuse and violent crimes. Uh, for young people growing up in my community, the kind of the only role models we had were the neighborhood dope dealers. Okay. You know, that's why I'm so intentional on being a hope dealer in the community, because I want youth to be exposed to something different. You know, I was raised by my grandmother because my mother struggled with uh, drug addiction mm -hmm. and my father wasn't involved in my life. And, uh, you know, my grandma was great. She loved me. You know, she was one of the most uh, loving and central figures in my life. But she struggled with alcoholism. Okay. So, you know, you could just imagine she'd be sober um, for a few weeks and then she'd drink for a few weeks. And um, those drinking binges um, were some of the roughest patches in my life. You know, a lot of um, emotional abuse uh, and things of that nature took place. And... Um, I remember as early as third grade uh, kind of being labeled by the school system as emotionally handicapped <laughs> and as having a slow learning disability. Right. So I'm looking, you know, my grandma has seven children. Seven out of seven of her children struggle with some form of drug or alcohol abuse uh, and poverty. Mm -hmm. So you're growing up, you know, within this family that's kind of devastated by the 80s crack epidemic. Um, your grandma struggles with alcoholism. You're labeled by the school system. Um, the guys that you look up to in the neighborhood mm -hmm. are the guys that are shooting and being shot at on a nightly basis. There's really, um, you kind of grow up in a situation um, where you don't have much hope. You know what I'm saying? So that's how it was for me growing up. You know, as you know, um, that was my introduction to the world, you know, just this cloud of hopelessness that really didn't shift um, until I ran into some people, um, you know, here uh, at this organization that worked out of the community that you should be very familiar with, uh, <laughs> Urban Youth Impact. I know a little something about that, yeah, just a little something. <laughs> yeah, man. Yep. Yeah, so, you know, they came in. That was like uh, one of my um, first consistent employment opportunities. Uh, through their summer work program, yeah, which your uh, wonderful wife was running at the time. Okay, yep. And, um, you know, and she, I think she was the one that invited me back to be an intern in the after-school program. Okay. And around that time, it wasn't so much the, like, it wasn't really the programming that got me, you know, it was the staff at the time, you wow. know. 
uh, the more time I was spending around the staff, the less I was spending around my homies and my friends. And we were shooting and being shot at on a nightly basis. Right. You know, I was losing friends uh, left and right. Um, I think, uh, yeah, somewhere around the age of 16, by this time in my life, my grandma had passed away. Okay. I found myself living back with my mom, whose uh, drug addiction just was at an all-time high. So mm. we found ourselves living in a shed uh, behind an abandoned house, you know. And, you know, I believe that people who are going through tough situations have the capacity to normalize their suffering. Because while we were living in that shed behind that abandoned house, it wasn't anything that I was like, oh, man, we're living in the shed behind an abandoned house. It was like, nah, this is the struggle. You know, this is how it is where you're from. You got to make yeah. a way out of no way. It just sure. was what it was. Yeah. I didn't realize how desperate the situation was till later on. You know, a lot of times in the hood, if you're living there, you, you really don't realize how bad it is either till one Somebody tells you, right, and you're like, "What do you mean? This is this is everyday life." Exactly. Or you go somewhere else where it's not as bad as where you are, right? And you realize, like, "Well, why do these people have it so easy? Yep. And why do I have it so hard?" Exactly. And you really don't realize that until one of those two things happens, yep. or both. Yep. And you're right. And that's what being around the staff at Urban Youth Impact did for me. You know, you're kind of exposed to like um, a different way of living. You know, these people weren't going back to the block uh, selling drugs mm -hmm. when they were done. They weren't hanging out on corners, putting their life on the line like that. You know, um, they were having fun. They were going to the parks. They sure. were playing sports. You know, they were watching movies. You know, it was like it, it was just different. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that had a, a huge impact on, on me. You know, I eventually uh, someone reported us living in that shed and we got evicted. And um, I remember like. I remember. I don't tell a lot of people this, but I remember going to Coleman Park. You know, it's a local park not too far from where we were living, and I literally remember um, contemplating suicide. Wow. You know, because I'm like, man, like this can't be life. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm like, my family's been through like all this mess. I'm going through all this mess. Like, life can't just consist of suffering. Right. There right. has to be more to it. Like, what's going on? Like, I don't know where I'm gonna go. I don't have any family. Uh, that's going to take me in. And um, I moved in with a, my childhood best friend and his family until um, my godparents took me in. Mm -hmm. And um, they were a beautiful black couple, uh, Christian couple in the community um, that they already had five kids. Wow. And they took me and my little brother in. That's cool. And so having the, the kind of the peers uh, that I had at Urban Youth Impact, you know, Stephen Hamilton, Sharon Mitchell, uh, Laura, J-Lo, just like people who kind of, they lived in the community because mm -hmm. of the work. Right. Um, they kind of, uh, Joey, uh, Leonard, Aaron, like those, like they became like my, 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 my social group. Sure. And then living with my godparents gave me the, um, the, the home or the stability of a family life that I needed. And uh, that kind of that kind of that and uh, my faith, you know, um, around this time, I started being discipled in the word um, by Chris Tress uh, first. And then so it was the, the word beginning to take root and God starting to move like in my life, setting me up with my godparents, uh, bringing me in a circle of believers. Mm -hmm. And um, that kind of shifted things. After that, um, I ended up. I, I loved reading. It was through reading the Bible that I realized how much I love to read and how much I love to learn, you know, because school had me thinking that 
I hated education. Right. They had me feeling like that wasn't the way for me. But the way I would pick up and retain things from the Bible, I had the thought, like, you know, what if I went and picked up a GED book and approached Mm -hmm. it with the same tenacity at which I was reading the Bible? Right. You know what I'm saying? And I did that. You know, I dissected that GED book the same way I did the Bible. And then I went and took the test and I passed it on my first try. Nice. And um, that was huge for me. I know when most people hear about a GED, it's like it's nothing to them, you know, because they finished school. Right. But to somebody who's never had that kind of success in their life, like it was something that kind of gave me hope and my ability to learn and to to comprehend. So not too long after that, um, I had an opportunity to go to uh, EMT school. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and I finished that. And that made me feel smart. You know what I'm saying? Because... You know, when you're coming from where I'm coming from, you're labeled the way I was. You don't think you got a chance to learn in such an intense environment. So let's let I'm sorry to interrupt. Let's 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 talk about that for a second. Yeah. Uh, If if there's educators that are listening to this podcast right now. Yeah. Explain to them the importance of labeling a kid. Yeah. Well, once you label them like that's it, at least once they know their label, Mm -hmm. that's it. You know, because I knew. Somehow I found out and I knew that I wasn't going to get a regular diploma like my friends. I know that I wasn't going to be able to get into college uh, with what the school system was going to give me because I didn't I didn't have the required coursework. You know what I'm saying? Right. So once you find that out, you know, it's kind of like, why go? You know, what's 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 the point? point? You know, Um, so I felt like. The moment I found out, I was just waiting until I was 16. Somehow in the hood, we found out that when you're 16, you can't go to jail for truancy. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was one of those things. So, okay. like, in my head, I'm like, when I'm 16, I'm dropping out. You know, I'm going mm-hmm. to sell drugs. And I did that, but I never sold a lot of drugs. You know, I dabbled in it because I saw my older brothers do it. And my older brothers um, kind of made it clear that they didn't want uh, my little brother and I selling drugs. So mm-hmm. we kind of had this buffer where even when I sold drugs, I couldn't let anybody that knew my brothers know that I was selling. Wow. So when I had to buy my crack, I would send my homie corn, and he would go down the street and get it for me, bring it back, and uh, and that's how I move. You on know? the low. On the low, bro. <laughs> All right. <laughs> on the low. I have my book bag on. I'm like, I ain't going to be out here looking like a drug. I'm going to wear my book bag. Right. I'm going to ride a bike, and I'm going to shortstop because I knew who all the addict was, all sure, the addicts sure. was yep. because many of them were related to me. Okay. Many of them smoked crack in the kitchen with my mom. Like wow. You know what I'm saying? So I, I had a good handle on who and when they were going to the corner. Mm-hmm. So it was easy to shortstop them on the way. Like, hey, I'll give it to you for four. Yeah. And that was kind of like my um, my mindset. So like stay out of the sh- like out of the shadows of my big brothers as not to be caught. Stay away from the police and uh and kind of do my own thing. Okay. Yeah. So let's jump back to the EMT school. Yeah. So that, you know, going through that, you know, there was many times I thought I was gonna fail, man. Just like it's like a crash course, bro. You know, they're throwing everything at you. Like from the time you sign up and class starts, you're in clinicals expected to know how to save people mm-hmm. like a month later because yeah. it's only a four-month, uh, four- to six-month uh, program. And so it was very, um, very uncomfortable. It really was something that I had to like jump into and throw everything into. But the sense of accomplishment that I got once I finished was uh, beyond anything I've ever experienced before. And um, But some of the things I saw there kind of um, stopped me or like I didn't want to be a fireman anymore after what I um after what I kind of picked up at EMT school. Like you see a side of life that 
most people don't see, that most people don't encounter. I mean, a lot of sad things. Yeah, from I can imagine. Older people just calling 911 because they're lonely, uh, to people being immobile and can't 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 move. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're the first one on accident scenes, yeah. so you're the first to see things that most never see. True. Um, you know, and you like, you know, I had to breathe for a guy who electrocuted himself right outside the hospital. You know, I had to work the bag valve mask yeah. as they were um, running the codes on him, and. Um, that was a little too like I'm like man my life has already been like hard and, yeah, and depressing, yeah. so I couldn't see spending my life in a in a field like that where you're constantly exposed to it. So that was the end of that, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then um, short lived. <laughs> it was short lived, bro. It's like you know that's what you need sometimes. You know you gotta yeah, dive, yeah. you gotta dabble in that thing you think you want to do, absolutely. And, and you get a taste for it, and luck. Yep. If you're as lucky as me, you're like. Nah, I'm good. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, you know you'll never know if you if the dream you want is that dream until you actually try and do it. Right. You know exactly. So there was this Bible verse that was resonating deeply with me around this time. I think I was 17, 18, 19, somewhere in that window. And um, Jesus says, "Greater love has no one than this that he lays down his life for his friends." And um, upon seeing that, and by this time, once I finished EMT school. My mom had gone to rehab, and she had uh, gotten her life together or began the steps to doing that. Um, my oldest brother came home from federal prison, and uh, he worked a job. You know, he sold drugs all his life. Like, mm. he was—that's what he was known for. He's one of the biggest dope dealers in the area. He came home and worked, and that's a humbling thing. Like, sure. when you're coming from the glory of who you were, and now you're like, nah, I'm done with that. I'm going to work, mm-hmm. and I'm going to take care of my kids. And— um, my little brother went on to become the number one point guard in the state of Florida. Uh, he'd go on to graduate from the University of Cincinnati, and now he's a professional basketball player in Brazil. Wow. And so, like, my family just started to look different, man. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. everyone born after me and my family is now on track for high school graduation or in college. It's awesome. Where if you look at when I was growing up, everyone was either like on drugs, impoverished, dropped out. Like it was just a different story. So I was like, by the time I was 17, 18, 19, God was beginning to plant seeds of the redemption of my family. And um, I remember like thinking, man, if God can do this for me, he can do the same thing for the guys in my community. Yeah. Because I was very fortunate. Like most of my friends I spent the most time with were shot. Um, incarcerated or convicted felons now, I was able to escape without any of those things being attached to my name. Mm. Uh, I've been shot at many times. You know, I've been I've been within inches from bullets flying past my head because of some of the situations we got ourselves into. But many of my friends were now dead or shot or, or in prison. And I'm like, I felt like God brought me through all of that to be the voice that I am in the community. That's, because, that's awesome. Yeah. Now, how did that verse and the experience that you just described, how you know you felt God brought you through that to be a voice in your community? How did that lead you to start Inner City Innovators? It was it was quite simple. You know, I believe that if you believe the Bible um, or if you claim the faith, it teaches you to have an eternal perspective. All right. I feel like most of the time, growing up in America. Um, you know, we want success. Success, uh, well, the American dream, as they call it, you know, the house, the car, the wife, and two kids. Mm-hmm. Like, But I feel like that's kind of striving for heaven on earth. Okay. You know what I'm saying? I feel like there, if there is a heaven and I'm going, 
I should live my life in a sacrificial manner. Like I should live like I believe that that's true. And another thing that kind of um, I had the privilege of going to Haiti um, mm. with my church uh, a few years after the earthquake. Um, and then I, I had even went to Africa with another pastor friend of mine, uh, Pastor uh, Kevin Hennessy up in New York. Um, and seeing the the suffering in countries like that, it really gave me a perspective that I doubt I have without those experiences. Yeah, definitely. Because you see people bathing in lakes. Mm-hmm. You see people living in tent homes, like hundreds of people hu- uh, huddled into a tent, uh, babies walking around naked because mm-hmm. they, they can't afford clothes. Yeah. They're playing in green water. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now, explain this, because my theory on American poverty yeah. is based on me seeing poverty in other places. Right, right. Right. And I hear it sometimes, oh man, you know, Tamarin, it's yeah. it's poor down there or right. whatever. Don't go down there after dark. Right. Or, you know, ah, I can't pay my light bill and I'm so poor. I don't I don't have Right. If you're an American, if yeah. you're born in America, just by being born here, right. you're in the top percentage of wealth in the whole entire world. That's yep. Earth. Yep. And so my perspective is that that people in the inner city, when they are blessed enough to take that journey to right. another country, right. uh, like a Haiti or yeah. Africa or right. even even further around the world and see poverty in other areas, right. they come to the realization that, you know what? It's really not that bad. Right. I'm right. really not that poor. Exactly. You know, water's clean. Yep. It's free. Yep. Uh, I can take a bath and yep. hot water. It just change. It's a, it's a yep. paradigm shift on what you think poverty really is. Exactly, and that's why I came. Ba- I came back, and I'm like, I could live in my community for the rest of my life because I know that living in my community, I'm living better than probably seventy percent of the world. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So people are like, why do you still live where you grew up? You know, when you can move out, why would I move out? You know, I've seen other. I've seen what other parts of the world looks like, and where I live now is considered a mansion. <laughs> Compared to how other people are living. Yeah, absolutely. You know? But that's a perspective that came, you know, so it made that sacrifice a little easier. Mm-hmm. You know what absolutely. I'm saying? Because yeah, perspective perspective is everything, man. So that kind of that kind of played a lot into it. So, you know, Urban Youth Impact gave me my start in mentoring. You know, I'm 30. I just turned 30. And I've been mentoring youth in this community for well over 10 years now, probably approaching 11, 12 years. Okay. If not, yeah. Since the age of 17, 18, I got my start. And I've been doing that. So the summer of 2015 was a particularly deadly summer in our community. I remember that. I actually used to refer to it as the Red Summer. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. And I remember we're losing kids left and right, and not just any kids. I'm talking kids that we had worked with were being shot. And um and, and killed. And I remember one young man in particular, Johnny Davis, mm-hmm. you know, who kind of came through the program, the Urban Youth Impact. And uh, and that's how I, I began mentoring him. Like every Wednesday he was at Bible study. You know, he heard all the hard messages. And when me and uh, my cousin Terry on were at these Bible studies, we'd give these kids the hard truths. Like, sure. you know, this is where your life is going. And he heard all those, you know, and he was a great kid. Um, good leader. If there's any kid that reminded me of myself, it was him, man. Mm. He just had mm. it. Like, he walks into a room, he can light the room up. Right. But he also had that dark side to him where there was just this street aspect to him. Mm-hmm. And, like, when he's around this group, he's shining. When he's in that group, he can navigate. And that's kind of what I had that people don't understand. These kids grow, you learn how to navigate every yeah. world. Yeah. And uh, so I understand that kids got to go through that. It's like a, it's a, 
it's something you got to go through until you find out who you are because mm-hmm. nobody really knows who they are until they're 25 and their brain's fully developed. Sure. So these kids are going through a process, and much of that process they go through alone with no grace. So Johnny was with us at this um, community forum that uh, was put on by a few of the commissioners to address the violence in the community. And, um, you know, Johnny wasn't, like, really up to speaking yet, so he, I was pretty much the spokesperson of the group. But I leaned heavily on, like, you know, what do you, like, I asked all my young guys, like, what do you think the problem is or how can they address it? And I go up, I give my spiel because that's my gift. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and then afterwards a news reporter came up, and she was so impressed with what we were saying, she wanted to come interview us on the, on the block. Okay. And then I remember Johnny being excited, man. He's like, that's what's up, man. <laughs> and I remember he rode with me. Uh, I, I have, I, he got in the truck with me, and then we're heading over. And I remember telling him, I'm like, Johnny, man, this um, um, this movement is for y'all because I had been working with a group of his friends in the high school at that point. And I remember um, I'm like, Johnny, bro, this movement is for y'all, bro. I'm just starting it off. But I want this to be the platform that y'all use to do good in your hood. You know, there is no like there is no code you got to live up to. You can be who you are. But sure. you're so bent being towards uh, stopping the madness man, mm-hmm, and just mm-hmm. just trying to change the culture. As a, as a youth and from, from the, the inside, inside out. out. Yeah. Exactly. Because I believe that real change happens when the people who need it lead it. Mm. And that's what I was grooming my young fellow for. And um, so a week after that community forum, we do this interview. You know, he's on camera. He went and recruited most of the corner guys to be in the video. Um, like less than, a, I think it was a week or two after that, he was walking home from the store with a group of his friends. A car pulls up. Assault rifle comes out the window, wow. and he was gunned down wow. with the guy that the shooters were aiming after. Dang. You know? That's rough. Yeah. That's rough. And I was at work, bro. I was at work, and I got a call, and I couldn't believe it. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Anybody, not him. Yeah. Anybody, not him. And um, that was tough, man. I, I remember leaving work. My boss actually took me from work to where it happened. And um, it was just one of those things where it was like, you know, the chaos after a shooting is just like, it's just one of those things. You just, the madness, man. People, it's just one of those situations that just, when people, the more information comes out, the more broken the scene is. And, yeah, yeah. And I remember like saying to myself, like, we, I gotta do something about this. We gotta do something about this. So that's kind of how the inner city innovative movement was really born. Or that's the seed. Johnny Davis was the seed Mm. that died, that gave life to this beautiful movement we see today because we couldn't let his death be in vain. Word. So his his death was the catalyst to catapulting you into like this whole thing that you had discovered through scripture. Right. I got to, you know, help the community. I got to use what I have to help. And then this happens, and yep. then it's like, all right, no more excuses. Yep. Got to forge forward. Exactly, because I'm doing stuff I had no experience in doing before. Well, I got to organize a peace march for my little homie. I don't yeah. know nothing about a peace march, yeah. but yeah. you know, we do it. Hundreds of people show up. Wow, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <clears throat> now, like, who are like people want to know who we are and what we're doing? And now, like, you like God gives you the courage to speak visions, you know. Yeah. And I remember vowing at that 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 rally after his peace march where he was killed. I said that this day marks a new era for our community. We'll no longer sit back and allow tragedies like these to claim the youth in our community. Those days are over. And uh, little by little, um, we've just been putting in work. Like that next summer, um, 
because of our work with the um, the city um, and um, the the local government uh, and other leaders in the community, um, we brought the jobs programs specifically geared towards young men Johnny Davis's age mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and socioeconomic status. Sure. We upped our community engagement efforts, our mentoring efforts, and by the end of that summer, uh, the summer of 2016, just a year later, we got a call from a news reporter that from the time children got out of school in our community to mm-hmm. the time they went back, there were zero murders in our community. Yeah, and we celebrated our first summer of peace. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's awesome. And that's what really, that's what change can do when someone gets involved and yep. gets off the bench and, and actually does what they think should be done. Right. You know, and just yep. follows follows a dream. Yep. That's awesome. Now, the mission of your, your organization is to inspire and empower inner city youth to embody the change they want to see in their community. Yep. And that kind of, that's what you're doing. Right. Because like you yeah. said, the best, the best people uh, to lead it or the people that need it. Exactly. And uh, so you've been in this role now for how many how many years or uh, how long has it been? It's about three, four years now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and aside from the Summer of Peace, what have you seen the impact of the organization to be in the community? Oh, man. It's been very well received by community members because these are their kids. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like right. the, the, the look, like when I walk out of my apartment building, everyone knows where I live, man. You got dope boys throwing up peace signs to you, telling you to keep up the good work. Single parents giving you hugs, talking about how proud they are. People who you grew up with, um, like, man, to see somebody that they could relate to. But the biggest thing took place, like, less than a week ago Mm -hmm. at a community meeting. The mayor was uh, trying to find, um, you know, solutions or pathways to help improve outcomes for black men and boys in the community. And when I tell you... um, about 60 to 70 percent of the youth in that room were my youth. Wow. They were young men from the community wow. with their Hope Dealer t-shirts on, stepping up to speak, uh, to provide perspective. Like, that is the biggest impact we have. Like, we, we're we not mentoring kids just to mentoring. Mm-hmm. We're mentoring community leaders. Right. We're, 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 we're raising up hope dealers. Well, our young men aren't going to wait until they're 29, 30, or even 25 to begin making a difference. Yeah. They're going to show up now. That's good. You know, they're going to be registered to vote now. Mm-hmm. They're going to be pulling their peers in now. Like, they are the movement. And that's the biggest thing because our main method of doing this is through hybrid mentoring. You know, on one on one, hybrid mentoring is a combination of individual, group, and peer to peer mentoring. You know, most mentoring programs are one on one. You meet with your mentor one time a week. But ours is really intentional where we do group mentoring on Saturdays. Mm-hmm. And the focus there is social emotional learning because we realize that our kids are having, they don't know how to respond to their environment in a way that's not self destructive. Okay. When you need something to eat, you got like the rent is coming up, you're gonna go make something happen. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I'm saying? They don't really know how to channel that anger that they're feeling in the right way. They're fighting in school, they're angry, they don't know how to process, they don't even realize what they're going through isn't their fault or has nothing to do with them. Mm-hmm. It's just the cards they were dealt. And that their responsibility is finding out the best way to play that hand. So we focus on social-emotional learning to teach Mm -hmm. our kids how to emotionally respond to their environment. Uh, Second is community leadership development. I teach my kids all the time that as long as you guys aren't stepping up, the only role models that the kids coming up at you are going to have are the guys standing on the corner. Right. And children will be what they see. Absolutely. I don't care what you tell them. Absolutely. They're going to be what they see. And that's a lot of the reason why you see 
kids act in the way they act yep. because that's what they see. Yep. And that's how so-and-so responded to yep. this, uh, you know, this particular incident. So I'm in this incident. So that's the only way I know to respond. So that's exactly. what I do. And so they mimic whatever they see. You're exactly, exactly right. Right. And that's why, like, my, my, my movement is community-based. You know, we don't have a, a meeting space. You know, we're in the community. Right. And um, so that group mentoring gives them that, and then that community leadership development is teaching them how to lead now, how to lead from where they are. Mm -hmm. They're not going to all have my passion, but what are you passionate about, mm -hmm. and how can we equip you to begin advocating on that thing? Because the the philosophy that grounds my work is um, Rossman's uh, helper theory. Okay. And um, that's what grounds the work of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it basically says, from my understanding, that when someone who struggles with something helps someone else through that thing, the person who's helping derives a greater sense of self-efficacy. Mm. Where, like, if I struggle with uh, alcoholism, all right, and I've been clean for a while, okay. and you're new into the movement, sure. and I'm your uh, sponsor, yep. you know what I'm saying? I got a greater weight of responsibility because I know you're looking up to me. You know, so yeah. I ain't going out getting wasted on Friday night right. because I don't want to let you down. Right. I don't want to cause you to stumble. So it has this effect where there are, um, they've done the study where there are uh, things that come with this theory, like um, they're more likely to um, to get engaged in school, uh, to vote, uh, to make decisions they wouldn't normally make before. You know, and now they want to work, they want to get a job because mm -hmm. they don't want to be out looking like they're not doing anything. So that's the theory that grounds our work is we give our kids um, leadership responsibility to where they can be seen in the community as leaders and they experience the helper's high, which comes with this work. Nice. You know, helpers when people, high. it's, nice. a, it's a like helper's that. high, bro. I be getting blazed, bro. <laughs> I be getting I like blazed, that. bro. When people come up to me and they're proud of me, I'm like, dang, bro, yeah, that, that feels good. It does. And when these kids 100%. feel that, yeah. They start longing for that more than they want the weed high. Yeah. You know, they want that high more than they want the lean high yeah. because they know that high is helping them. You know, that high is, is helping their reputation. That high is helping them make better decisions in their mm -hmm, life. Mm -hmm. And I want them to experience that. There's nothing wrong with doing good, man. Not Especially at in all. your hood. Not We've at all. been ashamed of that. Like, it was lame to do good in the hood. Like, you had to be a part of the downgrade yeah. to be acceptable, to, co to be cool. Now, my social capital doesn't come from being the baddest guy on the block. My social capital comes from being the good guy on the block. Right. And now kids know that that's an option because before we didn't. You had to be hard. Absolutely. You had to go this way. Now, there's one thing that I, I, I kind of really want to ask you. Yeah. Because, you know, being in a community for uh, such a long, long time. Yeah. There's things that you see, things that you know, you observe, right? So... We'll we'll take it back to like maybe thirty years ago. I know yeah. you're 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 young, yeah. but you've been here a long time, oh, yeah. and you probably have yep. seen either what I'm about to talk about, or you've seen the residue of what I'm about to talk yep. about. So there was a time where when people on the block, when they saw talent, or they saw somebody that was smart, or book smart, or just an athlete, or whatever, they were protective of that mm. person. They would not let that person. Even if they wanted to right. get involved with what they were doing. They yep. knew what they were doing was wrong, but it was right for them. Right. But they would not let this people, these these talented people, yep. get involved. They yep. hey man, go to school, get your education. You smart. You don't need to be out here. Right. Or you know what? You good at ball, man. Pursue that. Get a scholarship. Go to school. You don't need yep. to be out here. Yep. Fast forward to right. now. 
times have changed. Yep. Philosophies has flipped. Yep. And the same people that used to protect those people yep. are now recruiting smart people. So yep. it's like they're not even caring that you're smart and you're going to make it out. Right. I'm going to pull you down here with me. Yep. Can you speak to that? Bro, you hit you hit it right on the head, bro. There was this code that existed, and I feel like my older brothers were the last generation of that code. Right. That's why I couldn't do it openly. Right. Because right, my brothers right. put the word out. Like, yeah, nah, my brother ain't doing this. You know what I'm saying? No matter like and like that was that. Like we always feared those guys on cause when I was like in elementary school, the guys would give me a dollar. Middle school, hey, stay in school. It it was that. But as I got older, somewhere that wall broke down where they went from guarding the young people in the community to being the biggest source of temptation to the street life. Right. And now things have gotten so out of hand that a majority, 90% of the shootings that are taking place in communities like mine are taking place by people between the ages of 15 and 24. Wow. The youth run the blocks now. Wow. Now if you go up to a guy my age standing on a, a block, just 30, he said, I ain't saying nothing to those jits. Those jits crazy. Like, there is no more code. Now yeah. it's just complete lawlessness. Yeah. Not even the old heads got control on the block. You're exactly fact, right. They're scared of the youth. You are right. I, I um so I I grew up on on Tamarin Ave, Sixth yeah. and Tamarin. Yep. And uh, you know, as a as a young kid growing up, I you know, I was fortunate enough to have two parents yeah. in the house. My parents were married for 48 years. So yeah. I, I saw a good marriage modeled. I saw all that, man. Yeah. And so even though my surroundings might have been skewed by what was going on culturally. Yeah. You know, in the home, I saw what what should be and what could be for me. Right. 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 But because I lived where I lived, I would engage with people that are now old heads. Right. Right. Yeah. And so I, I think particularly, and you might even know this guy, uh, a guy who goes by the name of Rabbit. Yep. Yep. Old I know guy. Rabbit. Right. Yep. So Rabbit was like this young dude coming up when yeah. I was a kid. Yeah. And, you know, he, he did his thing, but, yeah. you know, he was he was respectful to my right. parents. My parents knew him. He, yeah. he used to help us out, whatever. Yeah. So fast forward, man, I ran into Rabbit like maybe five years ago. Yeah. And he didn't know me from Adam. Yeah. I was like, yo, man, you, you don't remember me, but explained who I was, right. told him the name of my parents. Immediately he knew who I was yeah. because he remembers my parents. Yeah. And I'm like, man, so what are you doing now? And he he said the same exact thing. He's like, mm. man, you know, I still live around here, but, you know, I don't I don't get involved. I try to stay away from these young bucks because yep. they'll kill you. Yep. They'll kill you as at fast the as they can look the at you. Yep. And he's like... So I just keep to myself, I, yep. you know, and, and that's it. Yep. And I'm like, wow, man, this guy has been in street life most of his life, if yep. not all. Oh, geez. And now he's <laughs> he's scared. Yep. You know? Yep. So that's how bad it's gotten. Yep. Wow. Exactly, man. And that's what it, that's what it's come to, man. Like, man. Where I'm like, that's why I'm raising up my youth to do the work, because, like, they're going to have to be the ones to engage their peers that are in that lifestyle. Yeah. You know, because you age out of the ability to speak to them. <sighs> You don't understand what we're going through. Man, say that again. I'll, I'll, that's like, that's powerful. Say that you again. age out of the ability to speak to them. Yeah. And that's the truth, bro. Wow. I don't care where you're from, what your history is. It's yeah. like, that's what happened. So I'm all, I'm only 30 years old, and I'm already training my young men to do the work because I'm I'm, I'm, I'm nearly out of the zone. Wow. I, don't live in, I don't listen to Chief Keith. I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't listen to the same people. I can't stand the music. Yeah. 
the music is a large key of what's driving the ideas sure. behind what they're doing. So I'm Absolutely. becoming a dinosaur in the work, and I'm only 30 years old. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So you almost, like, youth engagement, like, is becoming a skill that you have to have to do anything in these communities, mm. or you just lose touch. You're done. Yeah. You know, you could be as well-meaning as you want. Those kids don't care about that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And um, they're in such a desperate situation because many of them are illiterate. Um, they like people are saying jobs, jobs, jobs. But if these young men never had jobs in their life, uh, they can barely read or write. That's not the way for them. The streets offer them a place where they could fit in, having no skills to work in the real world. Mm -hmm. The streets always has a role for you. Yeah. But what nobody tells you is there is no retirement plan in the streets. <laughs> You'll get rest. Right. In peace. Exactly. But you won't get retirement. Exactly. Yeah. Bro. You won't see you retirement. Know? And it's sad, bro, because I, I see people that I grew up with, young ladies that are now prostitutes, young men strung out on drugs, in and out of prison, basers. Yeah. And like and that's what our kids don't see. And that's what I try to expose them to. Like, yo, this is the end of that road. Yeah. You know? Man, that's awesome. You age out of your ability to speak to them. That That's powerful, man. Yeah. You should put that on a t-shirt or something. I'm going to say that. Like, God be dropping little gems in there that I be spitting out that I don't know where it came from. Because hey. when I said it, I'm like, you, you gotta keep that's that one. tight. Yeah, you got to keep that one, man. You got to keep that <laughs> and one. And it's true. It's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the cool thing about you, man, and you know, and we've been friends, like you said at the beginning, for a long time. Yeah. Uh, you'll say things sometimes that, that, that will just resonate. Yeah. That was one of them. And a few years ago, you said something that, that I still use to this day. Yeah. Uh, is that, you know, you can learn three ways. You can learn the hard way mm -hmm. uh, by your own mistakes, the easy way from other people's mistakes, or the third way, you just don't learn. Mm. And I still use that. Yeah. To this day, yeah. I use that. Wow. And I got that from you, man. That's what's You might up, not man. even remember that. But Bro, I just... <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that's powerful, man. I mean, age out of the... Uh, the ability to speak yep. to the, the current culture. Yep. And that also makes me think of a, another line from this rapper Common, man. Yeah. And uh, a real deep dude, but he had a line in a song, and I don't even remember where it comes from. Yeah. But he said, the same streets that raised you can age you. Mm. And when I think about my dude Rabbit, mm -hmm. right, out there as a young dude, probably like my age now, yep. Yep. out there when I was a kid, and now he's an old guy. You know, mm -hmm. dreads. And I see some of these guys that were like him right. still out there, yep. you know, aged mm. by the streets, yep. raised by the streets. Yep. And now they're afraid of the streets, yep. you know. Yep. Um, but you're doing a very incredible thing by raising up in indigenous leaders, yep. much like the work of a missionary. Right. And I would even right. call you a missionary. Appreciate um, that. Because what missionaries do is they, if they're worth their salt. Right. They go to a foreign country or you know domestic land whatever. Yeah. And they they they're most effective when they find a person who they can reach. Right. Who's indigenous, who lives there, yep. who speaks the language, yep. raises them up to do the work. Right. And then they they get out of there because right. again, they can't speak to that culture because they're not from there. Right. But if God allows them to reach one person, then that one person can go back in and exactly. be an, an indigenous leader. And really that's what you're doing exactly. with Innocent Innovators. You're yep. you're you're an indigenous leader yep. who's raising up other indigenous leaders yep. to do the work. Exactly. And uh it's it's working. I appreciate that, man. So, so tell me a little bit about because I know that you know the the organization is flourishing. Yeah, um, you're full time now. Is yeah. that correct? Yeah. 
full time doing that. You've gotten some national exposure yeah. uh, with the news, uh, yeah. even NBC. Yeah, covered yeah. you. Yeah, um, internationally with Spiegel Online. Yeah, wow. So where can people find out about this movement? Yeah, I'd say the best way is innercityinnovators.org. Innercityinnovators.org. Okay. Yeah, that's the best way because, like, you know, you go there, all of my contact information, all that stuff there give you a direct link to me. Okay. And I love meeting with new people to talk about uh, our mission and our vision and what we're trying to accomplish in the community because I wouldn't be able to do the work without outside support. Sure. The people in my community can't afford to, to keep the lights on in this organization. So it's people from the outside who resonate and realize that the people who live in the inner city didn't create the inner city. Right. There's a lot of racist policies and, and history mm-hmm. that go along with how these communities became this way. So we're trying to tap into the people who understand that. And we're not asking them to come to our hood to do anything. Yeah. Because we're going to do the work. But we are asking them to support our efforts. Yeah. Mo- movements start from indigenous leaders and also empathetic sympathizers mm, you know love that you don't have to uh, you know go into the hood as a white person right and and say you know i want to join your movement you can right but if if that's what you want to do do that exactly if, if you want to support from a distance do that yeah but support means that you know what i see what you're doing I understand what you're doing and why you're doing it, and right. I agree, right. and I want to get involved in some way, shape, and form, right. because that's what helps propel movements. Exactly. You know? And so if, if someone's listening today, right now, uh, that wants to get involved with- Inner city innovators, inner, inner city innovators, what would you say to them right now? I would say, man, this is probably, um, this, is a, this is the little engine that could. And if you want to hit yourself to this little engine, we're more than welcome to, to, to have you because, you know, we're small. And, you know, when things are small, things are fun, mm-hmm. you know. Absolutely. And uh, so I welcome them with open arms, you know, to come meet me, come talk to me. Uh, let's chop it up so that you can catch some of the vision that I have for my community. Awesome, man. Yo, it's been a pleasure having you on the show, on the podcast, man. You dropped a lot of knowledge. I love it. And, again, reach Rick at innercityinnovators.org. Hit him up. Support the organization. He's a hope dealer, raising a nation of hope dealers to do good in the hood. That's what's up for Sojourn this week. We'll see you next time. Peace. That's a wrap for this episode of The Sojourn. Hopefully you learned something, were inspired, and motivated to begin a journey of your own. Please email me your comments, questions, or even suggestions for my next guest at proverb.newsome at gmail.com. Once again, that's proverb.newsome at gmail.com. This has been The Soldier. Remember, life is a journey. Enjoy the trip.